Welcome to the HCC Podcast. Our mission is to nurture love for God, love for self, and love for others as the highest goal of humanity. May the following message nurture that love in your life. And remember, you're always welcome at HCC. It's a perfect church for less than perfect people. Peace. Really thrilled for me today to invite, to share with you, as we traditionally do, the opportunity to hear from our administrative bishop denominationally in our region. This is Heritage Community Church, but you may not know that we are also connected deeply to our denomination, the Church of God. Uh, and we have, I have accountability, and my accountability is to an administrative bishop regionally, and his name is Stan Holder. And I, I told you we generally wrap up around five after, so I start wrapping up, but we've taken more time. We have all the way to 1130, by the way. So don't tell them I told you that, Okay. <laughs> But that's what we have, so relax on that. You're going to really appreciate Stan because not only is he an excellent administrative bishop holding me accountable for having integrity and right ministry practices, but he's also a deeply, a deep, deeply in love with God. And that's what I really like about it. This is not just a job. This is a ministry. So please welcome our administrative bishop, Stan Holder, to the pulpit today. Thank you. Good morning, Heritage. How are you today? It's good to see you again and be with you. It's my second opportunity to be here at this wonderful church, to be with your leadership. We have grown uh, to love the last 15 months. Uh, Pastor Steve and Sister LaDon Hall, they are tremendous leaders, pastors, and personal friends. I um, uh, have grown to love them in, in ways that uh, I probably haven't even shared with them verbally, but uh, we cherish our friendship with them. And we cherish our friendship with you. We get to hear from, about you all the time, all the great things that God is doing here at Heritage. And we just rejoice with you in the things that you are doing, not only in this region, but around the world. The wells that you dig in Nicaragua is just a wonderful uh, testimony of the love of God here. And the things that you're doing at City of Refuge and all the different ministries, uh, we just rejoice with you in all your great accomplishments of what God is doing through the leadership. Uh, this is my wife, Teresa. Many of you have met her before. If not, I'd like for you to meet her right quick. Uh, say hello. Good morning. It is such a joy and an honor to be with you today on this great Sunday after Thanksgiving. I enjoyed a lot of turkey and everything that I probably shouldn't have had on Thanksgiving, but you know, hey, it's once a year, so that's my excuse, and I'm living with it. But it is a joy to be here, and we're going to sing a song this morning. I was thinking about this when Pastor Steve was talking about the love of God. And this song is an old, old, old song, and it's entitled The Love of God. But I'm so thankful today for God's love. Where would we be without it, without his grace and his mercy and his favor on our lives? Amen. Go ahead. You can start it. The words to this song, and I'm sure you've heard this before. But if not, let me just share with you that the words of this song were first found etched on the wall of an insane asylum. It's amazing when you think, I don't think the person that wrote the words to this song, by the way, was insane by any stretch of the means. The love of God is greater far than tongue or peace can ever tell it goes beyond 
the highest star and reaches to the lowest head. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to Could we with the ocean feel and were the skies of parchment made were every star on earth a queen Oh! 
says it this way about the love of God that God so loved you and I that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would never perish but have everlasting life now that is the love of God when God would give his very best for you and I amen God's love is great isn't it hallelujah to God be the glory amen praise the Lord I appreciate pastor inviting me to be a part of your service today and we'll take just a few moments and talk about the subject, why was Jesus born? As we begin the season, pastors already hinted to the fact that this is kind of a strange uh, uh, week in our calendar, isn't it? I'm usually, uh, when I'm preaching the Sunday after Thanksgiving, I'm usually wrapping up something on Thanksgiving, you know. But we're beginning the Christmas season. And just a few weeks from now, just a few days from now, 25, I believe, from today. Is that right? Today's the first. will be Christmas morning. What a special day that is for all of us. And, you know, we don't really have any true evidence that Jesus was actually born on December the 25th. But that's okay, because we can celebrate it on that day anyway. Chances are he may have been born in the spring, many people tell us, but we don't really know that. So we're just going to keep December the 25th, and we're going to celebrate it that way. Amen. I want to invite you, if you will, to follow with me in Hebrews chapter 2. I'd like to read a passage of Scripture with you. And it might be good for the next few moments if you want to stand. It's about 10.52, and so I'm going to do my best to kind of share these points uh, in an uh, a eternal without everlasting manner amen so stand with me for just a moment and let's look at the passage of scripture and let's see what the bible would have to say to us this morning in hebrews chapter 2 we begin reading at verse number 9 but we see jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of the death crowned in glory and honor that he by the grace of god might taste death for everyone for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of our salvation perfect through suffering. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you and again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. That would be you and me, by the way. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Father, in the name of Jesus, now give us the mind of Christ, 
that we may understand what the Spirit of the Lord would have to say to us through the Word of God today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you and you may be seated. When Jesus came into the world, the world was oblivious to His coming. Now, heaven wasn't. Heaven was very aware of His coming. As a matter of fact, you'll recall from reading uh, the Christmas story in your Bible or maybe hearing about it in a Sunday school class or a small group that there was these shepherds in the field watching over their flock by night. And they're probably having a discussion, who knows, about taxes or politics or raising children or who knows what they were discussing. But in the middle of that, the Bible uses the word suddenly. That suddenly in the midst of their sheep watching, there is this multitude of angels that begin to sing the first Christmas carol that was ever sung. As a matter of fact, I don't know how much a multitude is. A multitude, I guess to some people, could be a hundred it was that way in my first sermon. There was probably 80 to 100 people there, and it was like a multitude to me. But I, I, a multitude today, we wouldn't consider us a multitude, although we're a very large crowd. We might not even consider the people that go to the Ravens or Redskins game a multitude. But maybe when you get into the thousands and tens of thousands or the hundreds of thousands or maybe a million or so, you might say that's a multitude. Well, the Bible says a multitude of angels showed up. Now, chances are very good that that was probably all the angels in heaven, uh, all the angels that were still in heaven because a third of them had already been cast out because of a rebellion that took place uh, that we have read about in Scripture. And they sang the first Christmas carol that was ever sung. They sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill to men. So we know that heaven was not oblivious to Jesus' coming, but we know that earth was. Earth really had no clue other than a little teenage girl by the name of Mary who certainly knew that the Christ child was going to come because she uh, was expecting child by the Holy Spirit and she gave birth to the Son of the living God. So in heaven, the Bible says that there was a conversation that took place in Hebrews chapter 10. Now you don't have to turn there, but let me read it to you. It says, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you would not. Or in other words, God wasn't satisfied with just animals being sacrificed. So he says, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then said I, Lord, I come in the volume of the book it is written to do your will. So there's a conversation. And the, the, the Son of God is fully aware of the fact that God the Father is not pleased with the sacrifice of animals anymore. And so he prepares the ultimate perfect sacrifice to go to this earth. And so he had to be born of uh, the way that you and I would be born, through a birth canal. And he came into this world so that he could identify fully with you and I. He was God that became flesh. So all the godness was loaded on the boxcar of humanity and every once in a while he would open up his mouth and he would say things that would blow the minds of people that heard it. Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Well, 
If there's a contractor in this building today, you would know that you couldn't destroy a temple and in three days have it erected to perfection again. But he wasn't talking about an earthly temple. He was talking about a heavenly temple. When he was left behind at his bar mitzvah, and his parents are gone, and they turn around and make a day's journey back, and they find him in the synagogue teaching. And he's blowing the minds of the rabbis, this almost 13-year-old child that is opening his mouth, and the theologians can't hardly comprehend the great things that's coming from his mouth. And his earthly father walks up to him, I'm sure in a scolding manner because he was quite frustrated. They've now been two days without him. And his first words out of his mouth to his earthly father was, Wish me not, I must be about my father's business. Now, how would you like to have been his father when you heard that? But he wasn't talking about his father. He was talking about his father. Right? But that godness would open up its mouth and it would blow the minds of people like you and me. Now... We now have over 2,000 years to figure it all out. So when I talk about it today, we've got a little bit more of an understanding of what he was trying to say. But imagine hearing all that for the first time. But yet, he knew that the father was not pleased with animal sacrifices so that he had to come to this world to do something. Why did he come? To reveal the love of God that we just sang about? Well, sure he did. To fulfill the law, absolutely. To teach us truth, you better believe it. To reveal the kingdom of God, absolutely. To demonstrate peace, yep. To heal the sick, yes, thank God for it. But all of those things I just gave you are secondary reasons as to why he came. They are automatic byproducts of why he came. Now, we're recipient of all of them. We are glad that we are a recipient of all of them. We are thrilled by the fact that we can experience the love of God and the peace of God and the healing power of God and the delivering power of God and the peace of God and all those things. We're glad, but those are not the primary reasons he came. The number one reason that Jesus came was to die. The only reason there was a Bethlehem is so there would be a Calvary. The only reason he lived is so he could die. The soft baby hands that were fashioned in Mary's womb were made for one purpose, so that nails could be driven into them. Those chubby little feet that pitter-pattered around the family home and even his dad's carpenter's shop were made for one reason, so that a spike could be driven into them and fasten him to an old rugged cross. You see, child of God, those shoulders that flourished in his father's carpenter's shop were made so that he could carry his own cross up to Golgotha. His beautiful round head with sparkling eyes were formed so that one day a soldier could crush down a crown of thorns upon his brow. That tender body so warm and soft was made so that a Roman soldier could thrust a spear in his side and rip his body into shreds. You see, there's really only one reason why Jesus came. He came to die. He came to be the ultimate sacrifice 
for you and I. And the Hebrew writer gives us five quick reasons, and I'll go through them briefly. He says the first reason he came in verse 9 was to be our substitute. You see, Ezekiel said the soul that sins has to die. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So when he talks about sin, by virtue of the justice of God, sin has to be punished by death. If I sin, I will die. I will die spiritually. I'm already dead spiritually. And if I die physically without a remedy for my sin, I will spend all of eternity away from the love and the peace and the power of God. But because God is love, God said he would not allow you nor I to die in our sin. So he sent his son to stand in our place, to die in our stead, to remove us away so that his son would stand where you and I should have sinned and he died for you and I. Some of you may remember if you've been around for church for as long as I have, I often joke about it. I was Church of God nine months before I was born. And it's all I've ever known. You know, I love my church and I'm glad to be a part of my church. I've not found anything better on earth, although chocolate cake comes really close. Amen. But the truth of the matter is there's an old song we used to sing in church. I don't hear it much anymore, but it kind of paints the picture of what I'm talking about. It says, I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on the cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's Son, took my place. You see, this is the only alternative that God had. He either had to punish you and me for our sin or else he would have no other substitute unless he sent his son. So Jesus was chosen to stand in our place. He lived so that he could die. The sinless one became sin. The shameless one suffered death. The living one submitted to the dying one. The perfect one became the punished one. And the Savior of the world became the substitute for all of mankind. Jesus was born to be our substitute. And then he tells us in verse 10 that he was born to be our salvation captain. He says it this way, For it pleased him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus you might say, was a pioneer. He was the guy that led the charge. He was the being that led the charge. A pioneer is somebody who starts something so that because of his beginning, others can follow in the footsteps of the pioneer. I was reading uh, uh, this a few days ago, and again, I rehearsed the story. From, I Googled it again this morning. Uh, the millennials have taught me I can do that. Amen. I, I just get my phone and Google something when I've got a question. But there's this, there's, a, there's this country that you and I know called Switzerland. And Switzerland was at war with Austria. And there's a folk uh, story. 
some say it's true, some say it's folklore, but regardless, it makes the point of what I want to make today. There was a man, a Swiss patriot by the name of Arnold Wickelreed. Now there's your name right there, huh? Wickelreed. And uh, they got tired of wars being fought on their, their land all the time. So he organized all the peasants... And they formed the Swiss army. And when Austria and invading forces came, you know, they would fight. This was in the late 1300s, early 1400s. They would stand shoulder to shoulder and they would march straight forward and they would conquer anything in his path. And so Arnold said, I'm going to, I'm going to run through the line and I'm going to break the barrier. And those of you will follow behind me. We can get through their front forces and if you can get in through them and behind them, we can win this victory. And sure enough, according to the story, Arnold Wickelried began to run toward the Austrian army. And he was taking arrows in his chest and in his legs. But he busted through the line and others followed him. And they were able to win the victory that day. Now what a terrible thing it would have been had he burst through that line and no one followed him. You see, Jesus Christ did that with Satan. Jesus Christ did that with sin. There was this thing that Satan has called death. It is his nuclear weapon against mankind. And God knew that it was the most powerful weapon that he had. And so Jesus came to destroy death, hell, and the grave. And the Bible said that he, he destroyed that by dying on the cross and then rising from the dead. That's why he said, because I live, you can live also. And the truth of the matter is, children of God that are here today, we need to understand that Jesus Christ was the captain, the leader of our salvation. The only reason we have access to salvation is because of what Jesus Christ did for you and I today. You see, he came to be our substitute. He came to be our salvation captain. And then verse 11 says he came to be our sanctifier. He says it this way. For both he that sanctified, that, that by the way is to make holy, and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren. He is holy and he desires to make me holy. And the only way I can be holy is if I accept what he has provided for me through the atonement of Jesus Christ. I like the way maybe uh, uh, someone said years ago, he took my sin and he gave me his righteousness. He took my iniquity and he gave me his holiness. He became holy not by my activity or not by my legalistic deeds, but because of what he did on the cross of Calvary. You know, there's been a lot of religions in the world that's tried to figure out how to live holy. Even in our own denomination, if you go back to the late 18 or 1900s and you read about some of the things that we even believed you needed to do to be holy, let me tell you something. You can't do enough to make yourself holy. Now, you can clean yourself up. You can make yourself look better. You can cover up a little more skin. You can do some of those things, and that's all good. I'm not opposed to that. 
But you can never make yourself holy. The only way you're going to make yourself holy is by coming into right relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the one that makes us holy. So holy that he's not ashamed, according to Scripture, to call us brethren. You ever wonder why we go around saying, Hey, Brother Steve. Hey, Sister LaDon. Hey, Brother John. Hey, Sister Jane. You ever wonder why we do that? Here's why we do it. Because children of the same father can call each other brother and sister. And you and I, maybe some of you have never met you. Hey, I'm your brother. You're my sister. And the reason I can call you sister and brother and you can call me brother is because we're children of the same father. He is not ashamed then to call us brothers and sisters. Amen. You see, and then he says in verse 14, he says, he came to be our Satan conqueror. And I really love this one. Because the truth of the matter is, child of God, I can't defeat the devil on my own. Now, I know you may think that it's because I have a title, I can defeat the devil. No, he don't like overseers either. Trust me. And the truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter what kind of title you have or who you know or how much money you've got in the bank, none of those things will help you beat the devil. You know, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, right? They're not man-made. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, the Bible says it this way, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. We get back to this nuclear weapon he's got again called death. He conquered death. The only thing that Satan had over you and me was death. So somebody had to destroy that power. Paul said it this way. He said, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Now, I've noticed people, and if it happened to me, you would notice me doing the same that if I'm sitting at a table and I'm enjoying a meal and a fly starts flying around, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to get the fly away from me. But if a bee or a wasp happens to come around, I'm not doing this. I'm standing up and I'm walking away. And the reason I do that and the reason you do that is because the bee has something that a fly doesn't. A stinger and they will sting you and trust me it hurts doesn't it but what would it be like if you knew that a bee or a wasp or a hornet had no stinger it would be kind of like a fly wouldn't it you'd see that hornet or that wasp or that bee fly around your table or around your, your even your children or your grandchildren, and you would do them like you would a fly. Because they may be a nuisance, but you would have no fear of them stinging them because they had no stinger. Well, that, my friend, is what Jesus did to Satan. He took the sting of death away from Satan. That's why, amen. You can go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. That's why a child of God can come to the funeral of a child of God and we will cry 
and we will mourn, and it'll be a difficult time, but we know that death is not the final chapter of that soul. Because the reason we know that is because the stinger has been removed from death. You see, you hadn't lost something if you know where to find it, right? If you know where it is, then hey, okay, well, if you've got a loved one that's died dead in Christ, you know exactly where they are. And we may, it may be a nuisance, death, a funeral, a visitation, and all the things that we go through is a nuisance. And we don't like the fact that we've got to go through the, ne- the, the death and the funeral and all those things. But we do have victory in knowing that the stinger of death is gone. And we are victorious because Satan has been conquered because of what Jesus Christ did for you and I. That, my friend, is why Jesus was born. He was born to be our sanctifier. He was born to be our substitute. He was born to be our salvation captain. He was born to be our, uh, 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 our conqueror, our sanctifier. And then finally, he was born to be our sympathetic high priest. He says it in verse 16. For verily he took, not, he took not on him the nature of angels, but took on him the seed of Abraham. And then he goes on to say in chapter 4, For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, we live, what, 30, 40 miles from D.C.? Is that a good estimate? And there in D.C. is this Capitol and the Supreme Court, and there's this house that we know as the White House. I've been there. I've not been in it. I've been outside it, and I've walked in front of it and taken a selfie and all those things that we all do and we're there. But if I were to drive up to the White House and, and pull up to where those gates are, where those things sticking out of the ground, first of all, I wouldn't be able to get in there because my car would, would hit that. But if I were to pull up to that and they would ask me what I'm doing here, I would say, well, I think I'm going to go in and I'm going to have dinner with the president. My wife's with me. I put it on a suit today and I'm wearing my very best and if you don't mind uh, we'd just like to be able to go in and have dinner with the president well you know what they would do to me sure you do however if I were to pull up there one day and they asked me why I'm there and my wife and I are in the car and I say well I've come to enjoy a banquet meal with the president and I pull out something called an invitation, then all of a sudden, things change. Because I've been personally invited by the president, I can take Teresa by the arm, and we can walk right into the banquet hall to where kings and queens and world leaders for years have been entertained in those banquet halls in the White House. And the reason I would be able to go in there is not because of who I am or what my name is and certainly not because of the way that I look, but because I would have a personal invitation signed by the president 
to be able to go in and enjoy a banquet meal with the dignitaries. Well, my friends, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for you. He said, <clears throat> Seeing then that we have a great high priest which is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Get this now. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace. Boldly. See, I don't know, maybe I, I, I was raised in an evangelical Pentecostal church. I wasn't raised in Catholicism, and I'm, I'm not using this pulpit to criticize any other religion. But I will say this, based on what I read in Scripture, I don't need anybody else to go to God on my behalf. I want people to go to God on my behalf. I would like for you to pray for me. I'd like for you, if you've got a prayer list, I'd like for you to put me on it. I'd love for you to pray for me. I need your prayers, trust me. But I don't have to have that in order to be able to have access to God. The Bible says that I, Stan Holder, or you and you fill in the blank with your name, can boldly walk into the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. You ever been there? You ever had a time of need? You ever had a 911 prayer? You ever had that moment in time to where you were like, you know, everybody's got a prayer life when it comes to 911, right? Some people don't pray. I, I, I'm not necessarily one of those guys that pray four or five hours a day. I'm not, uh, people could do that. They have the gift of intercession. I, that's not me. I do pray every day. I, I, I enjoy praying every day. I, I like to take my needs before the Lord every day. But the truth of the matter is, children of God, is that when you and I are given a personal invitation to go to God and do it in a bold manner, we ought to take advantage of that. Because everybody at some point in time in their life is going to have a prayer life. It may be hours of intercession, it may be a, be a morning devotional, or it may be 911. Oh God, help me now. And according to Scripture, according to Scripture, I don't have to come in a side door, I don't have to walk in a back door. I don't have to slip around and hide behind things in order to get there. I can walk boldly into the throne of grace and take my need, take my children, take my grandchildren, take my denomination, take my church, take my friends, take my 911 to God. The Bible said it this way about Cornelius. He said, his prayers and his alms have been offered up as a memorial unto God. The word memorial is a Greek word. It's where we get the word monument. It's kind of like a cemetery. If I can use that as an illustration, I'm not talking about the throne room of God. I'm using it as an illustration. 
you can go to a cemetery and you may find tombstones that are 200 years old. They may have a little moss on them, but they're still there. And it, what it does, it signifies the fact that somebody's buried here. He said this of Cornelius. He said, he said your alms or your giving, your tithe and your offerings and your prayers have been offered as a memorial, a monument, a capstone unto God. In other words, I, I read it this way. I like the way one theologian I read after said it this way. He said, God, when you pray and when you tithe and when you give, it's like you're establishing permanency in the throne room of God. That God has the ability to look around and remember every prayer you've ever prayed or has been prayed on your behalf. When you gave him the offering this morning, it wasn't just because the church has a need. I don't even know the church does have a need. But you gave. And whether you, you realize it or not, but what you did had eternal significance. Every time you pray, it has an eternal significance. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the reason Jesus was born. He was our substitute. He's our sanctifier. He's our salvation captain. He's our sympathetic high priest. He came to die so that you could have access to eternal life. Why are we here today? Hopefully for more than just because we love our pastor. And I hope that's one of the reasons. We're here today because we love God. Because we have access to God. Because He's given us an invitation to be with Him. Do you have a 911? I mean, you've probably like me, you've got a lot of prayers. I pray for my kids every day, I pray for my grandchildren. I prayed my boys, I prayed for their wife their whole life. God's answered one of those. <clears throat> Still working on the other one. But you have a number one. Now let's just be honest with each other. And it changes. Based on life and circumstances, it changes. Right now, it might be a child or... Maybe it's finances. Maybe last year it was something else. But right now, this morning, at 12, 20, 11.25, and I've gone over, at 11.25, do you have a number one? That if God could answer this prayer today, do you know what it is? If you do, I want you to stand on your feet right now. And I, by the way, I'm already standing. I know what my number one is. So, look at us. Look, take a minute and look around the sanctuary. Just take a minute and look. The Bible says oh, we are to bear one another's burdens. And because our response is so big, we're going to do the altar call this way. We're going to do it right where we're standing. 
and we're going to take our number one to God. And it's very possible that he could answer that today. I, I don't know what God's going to do, but I'd like for you to stand there with the reality that if he needs to or wants to or by our faith respond to, he could raise the dead in this place. He could heal cancer in this place. He can change the heart of a judge that you've got to stand before court in. I believe God's that big. And I believe He's that able. So I'm going to pray with you. And I'm going to let you fill in the blank in just a moment. Now you don't have to pray it out loud. You may not want your neighbor to hear. That's okay. We're not... We're not going to stick a microphone in front of you. And we're going to, we're going to, what we're going to do is we're going to come boldly to the throne of grace. You have a personal invitation to take your number one straight to God right now. So put your hand on your heart and lift your other hand up if you're able physically. And let me pray for you, Father, in the name of Jesus. I bring the Heritage Christian Community Church to you. I bring the men and women in this building here right now that are standing because they have a 911. They've got a present pressing need in their life right now. And we're not here to play church this morning. We're here because we're serious about our relationship with you and we believe what your word says, Father, and your word has been spoken this morning and it tells me I can walk boldly into your presence right now and bring my need to you. So that's what I'm going to do. Father, right now, touch my... You fill in the blank. Right now, Father... Heal my, you fill in the blank. Right now, Father, deliver my, you fill in the blank. Now, Father, save my, you fill in the blank. Right now, Father, I bring my pressing need to you. I give it to you, Father. And I walk boldly into your throne room right now. And I throw myself at your feet. Thank you for what you have done in me. Thank you for what you're doing in me. And now by faith, I give you my number one today. I give you my present, pressing need. And I turn it over to you. In Jesus' name. Will you say that? In Jesus' name. Say that louder. In look at me my wife looked at me the other day she said you know if I'm in church and the microphone doesn't work she said I've got to call the sound man to fix it but she said he can't fix it if I don't give it to him you gotta give it to him so you my point is you gotta you gotta let go you gotta stop trying to control it. And you've got to release it to God. Will you do that this morning? In Jesus' name, Father.
I give it to you. I bless you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.